Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. So uh, I want to start the show like this. You're walking down the street. It's a sunny day. Nothing particular special about it. You know, normal, sunny, lovely day. All of a sudden, this big black stretch limo pulls up next to you. And you look inside and you see the actor Andy Samberg. And he says, come on in, come on in. And you get in the limo for some reason. And he looks at you and says... All right, I'm going to offer you $1 million, but with a catch. I mean, there'd have to be a catch, right? The catch is, for the next 30 days, you will be hunted down by a team of trained killers, but they'll only kill you if you're by yourself. If you survive that, money's all yours. What would you do? Would you take the deal? Who would you spend your time with? Who would you tell about it? And would they believe you? That's the premise of Self-Reliance, which is a new movie by uh, the actor and director and filmmaker Jake Johnson. You might know Jake as Nick Miller, the sort of charming slacker on the TV show New Girl. Uh, You might know him from big franchises like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse or Jurassic World. He also has a really big advice podcast called We're Here to Help. I only knew Jake through his roles. I mean, I had never met him before, but what a chat he is. Rare combination of someone who thinks deeply about the art and deeply about the business and is aware of sort of both of them. I've never heard anyone talk about it that way before. Self-Reliance is out now on Paramount Plus in Canada and on Hulu in the U.S. I loved this conversation. Uh, Here's my conversation with Jake Johnson. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean this, I, I hope you can take this in the spirit which I'm asking it. But when you pitched this idea for uh, the movie, was there a part of you that was surprised when it got greenlit? Yes. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, the way that I view the Hollywood career and the game is if you're lucky enough and you fight hard enough and you get a seat at the table, you should keep kicking and thrashing and trying. And so... You know, I've directed an episode of New Girl. I had directed some commercials. I've self-financed and produced movies where I was with the director a lot. So the idea of getting an indie feature as a director wasn't wasn't out of the question for the last few years. The question was, was what would I like to do? And so obviously I could have done like a romantic comedy that was lighthearted, but indie and looked good and felt good. So it was connect, connecting like drinking buddies to New Girl. And there were other kind of projects I had been kind of thinking about. But then I thought, well, if I'm going to spend all this time, I want the dream movie for me. And the dream tone for me was Jacob's Ladder mixed with Bottle Rocket. And when I pitched that, they said, what does that look like? And my real answer was, I don't know. So for people who are listening to this who aren't familiar with either of those movies, can you give me like the 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 um TV guide version of that's an old yes, reference. TV guide version of like Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, give me the TV guide version of Jake Jacob's Ladder meets what was it, Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson? Bottle, Bottle Rocket, Rocket, yes. Yeah. I was, yeah. So Jacob's Ladder is about a guy who gets home from Vietnam and starts 
uh, seeing things like demons. It's a psychological thriller and he's being hunted and it's these demons are very scary and everywhere and he's trying to figure out what the hell is going on and he's meeting with other people he served with and they're talking about it might be the drugs that were put uh, over the chemicals that were put over them and it might be this and it could be this and he's building and this horror and this terror is building and you don't know what is happening and you don't know what is real and the end of the movie well i don't want to spoil it i think you can spoil it's, it it came out a long time ago yeah, that's true. <laughs> so if I spoil it and you're mad, I apologize. Hold on. Let's, let's give everybody a second. He's about to spoil it. You can turn off the podcast for like, you can skip ahead five seconds or like turn down the radio for five seconds. That's correct. Okay. So here's what okay, happens. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the end of the movie is revealed that there's a helicopter shot and you realize, oh, he was wounded and he might be dying in Vietnam. And all of this might have been in his head. Yeah. And the movie ends and you go, I think it was all in his head, or I don't really know. And you're putting a lot of questions together in the credits roll. And you're left with a lot of questions about what did I just watch? But the ride was really fun. Okay. And Bottle Rocket is an indie comedy about a guy who uh, believes himself to be greater than he is and wants to be extraordinary, but he's very below ordinary. And he has these huge aspirations about being in a gang and being in a group and taking over and it doesn't work out for him. But his group is really funny. His team is really great. And it's got that great early 2000s indie spirit of like, it's just an indie killer yeah. with a great soundtrack. And yeah. It feels right. And the bits are great. And I wanted to see what would happen if those two things became one movie. And that was my... Uh, kind of mission statement for self-reliance. And they said, yeah, they said, good, sure. They said, if you can keep it at a certain price point, we're willing to give it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, we kept it at the price point. <laughs> so, who was it? I think Seth Rogen said that to me one time. He was like, the reason I've, I can't do Seth Rogen, but like the reason I've had this career for yeah. so long is that my movies have gone very well and I've made them very cheaply. Yes. So I'm a big believer in that. I self-financed some movies in the past, uh, when it all digging for fire, uh, ride the Eagle. Yeah. And what I really learned with those movies is, and it's a lot of things that filmmakers don't talk about, but the business of making movies. And that is if I made self-reliance for 25 to $40 million and we put 25 into marketing, well, then this movie is a big miss. But we made the movie for five and Hulu came in after South by Southwest way above that to purchase it. So we have already won. Oh, come on. And now it's just a matter of getting it out to people and celebrating it. What happened? Did we we break up? No, I said, come on. That's beautiful. I was just so happy to hear it. I mean, like, oh, come on. That's so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're already ahead. You're yes, already... but it. But those price points really matter. And so when I was pitching this and, you know, Andy was interested and he also produced it. So they had myself and Andy in it. And then Anna Kendrick had read the script and said she might do it. I think they said, with you three, with this movie, if you can nail it, we'll be very happy at this $5 million price point. I want to point out that the reason I think Jake and I are talking about this movie and the financing around it and the green lighting around it is because you don't see weird – and let yeah. me just be clear. If I, if I didn't like it, I'd probably just say stuff like, well, congrats, man. <laughs> I really liked this movie. I thought it was so funny. But you just don't see – you see weird YouTube videos – 
or you see weird TikToks. You might even see a weird series. Like, uh, I think you should leave, which Biff Whiff, who's in this, is also in. You don't see weird, funny movies. Movies. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Do we lose something when we lose those movies? I mean, I read an article the other day that was like, there was a time where you could watch The English Patient and then the following week watch some small comedy. And and the same people in the the theater for The English Patient or the same people in the theater for Michael Keaton, Batman- are the same people in this theater yes. for for clerks? Like, do do we lose something as like? And this is a bit of a this is a public radio show, so whatever. Do we lose something as a society when when we're all not watching these kind of movies anymore? Well, I don't know, but I do know that everything has fragmented to the point. But the catch is, and what I'm proud of this is, those movies are still existing. You might just have to go find them. Right. So Rob Reiner did an episode of New Girl, mm-hmm. and uh, it was still when we were doing pretty good numbers for. 2012 television. Yeah. And the numbers compared to Rob Reiner's career on All in the Family of All in the Family were disgusting. <laughs> and he told a story to myself and Zoe and the crew one day that changed me. And he said, when that show was hot, we had so many people listening that you would know, he would say like, let's say at like the 13 minute mark of the episode, there's a great joke, the kind of joke that like was the best laugh of the episode. When we taped it, it was the biggest laugh in the room. And he would go, you could almost hear America laugh together at that moment because everybody was watching. And I thought that's so cool and so not my experience with entertainment. Entertainment has gotten so individualized so that rather than that, You just meet people on the streets or get DMs on Instagram where they go, hey, this movie you made, Safety Not Guaranteed, I just watched it. Yeah. And it really meant a lot to me. And you go like, great. But we don't all watch together, but people do see things. Yeah. I like like your point there because I think most people I talk to make the point of like, and it's never going to happen again. But I like your point that like you can, it's out there. You just have to find them, but they're there. They're still being made. But it's also different now, like, you know, because I went through a whole period where I was battling if this is like the end of this thing that I love. And that like is filmmaking? You know, big, well, filmmaking TV, like, you know, with each situation with, you know, these networks now canceling stuff based off tax breaks, right? Then making a show and burying it to save money on their accounts. And they are multi million dollar companies. There's a part of that that feels like the death of something that I really love, and that is entertainment and movies and TV. And the counter to that is we started this podcast, the We're Here to Help, really for fun. It was my buddy Gareth who does a show called The Dollop. He's been doing it for 10 years. We've been friends forever. And he's like, I think you're going to like this. And I keep being like, I don't want to do a podcast. And we started doing it. And within a month, we've had insane numbers. And the more people are listening to this than watching certain projects I've done. And I'm like, what is this world? And so I'm like, oh, so it's now about a lot of projects and reaching people in different ways and reaching pockets, as opposed to just trying to land that one big fish. And there is something really exciting about that. I got a question about the, um, where part of the movie came from. So one of the things in the movie is that the, um, your, your character, Tommy, the he can't be 
he can't be a, a, alone because if he, if he's alone, he'll be killed. That's how the people yes. in the in the game will. That's get the him. loophole. Um, the producer of this segment, Mitch, and I came at it com- from completely different angles. He was like, maybe it's inspired by the idea that during the pandemic we were with our families all the time. <laughs> and, you know, we could not get away from our families. And I came at it like, oh, during the pandemic, we were so alone, so disconnected from any, everybody. Uh, maybe that had something the to dream, do with yeah. where, where this came from. Are either of us uh, on the right track there? The original idea for this movie was pitched to Netflix in 2017. Uh, but uh, it then went away. I wanted it to be a limited series. And I wanted it to be a multi-season show. And then during the pandemic, the reason that I wrote it and tried to get it made then was it felt like the pandemic. And what it felt like to me was that I personally missed everybody. It was the first time in my life I realized I miss a busboy in my favorite restaurant that I do a bit with. I miss, miss sitting at a table and the people next to me are loud and annoying. I miss seeing people on sidewalks. And I was like, man, I, you know, I was with my family the whole time, but I thought I would kind of do anything to be in a crowded elevator. And so I thought I now this movie that this show I wanted to do before is feeling like the pandemic and the idea that the killers are very serious to one person and ridiculous to the next felt like the virus where some people thought this thing is going to kill us all. And the person next door said, yeah, right, dude. Stop believing the media. And I was like, we're all turned around with our idea of truth and we're alone and we're isolated. And I said, oh, this is really lining up. Really interesting. Hey, like I have to say when you watch this movie and I recommend that you do, it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel like allegorical at all. But to hear the depth of thought that he has put into this like funny comedy movie is it's a beautiful thing. My name is Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the filmmaker and actor Jake Johnson, who you might know from New Girl or Jurassic World. He just directed his first feature film. He acts in it too. It's called Self-Reliance. Uh, the premise, just to catch you up, is his character Tommy is playing this really dark game where he can win a million dollars, but he can never be on his own, not even for a minute. And if he is, he'll get hunted and killed. And Tommy's family doesn't believe him when he tells them about it. I mean, why would he? I mean, they think he's out of his mind. I asked Jake Johnson, similarly, if there's meaning in that. And I was not prepared for his answer. Take a listen. Yes. But there's also for me, and it's a dark comedy, but it is a comedy. And that is, I do have uh, addicts in my family and uh, friends who I've loved. And when you watch somebody um, trying to convince you that they don't have a problem and things are fine, there is something really funny about it while it's really sad. Yeah. And their reasoning from the outside is you go like, well, no, my friend, that's not real life. And they're like, well, you, well, you're not, hold on, hold on. But if you just give me until Wednesday, and if you just do this until, and you go, huh, and my kind of comedic engine is, what if they were right? And what if everything they're saying while the group of people who were so sure of themselves that this goofball is coming up with excuses and they don't buy it for a second. And nor when should the they really, hears, nor, should, nor they. should they. Yeah. But when the family hears Andy Samberg pulled up in a limousine and these two guys from potentially Greenland 
picked you, but nobody gets to see it. And these ninjas are filming it. Their thought is the same way as an addict would say, like, I am going to get sober, but it's going to be next Friday, the 9th. And you go, well, why not today? And they go, well, because tomorrow is the dragon celebration. And you go, what are you talking about? You're lying to me. And I thought, what if the character was oh, yeah. telling the truth and the stakes weren't, I need to get sober. The stakes were, I hear you. Yeah, They're going to kill me. And to the family, this is your most desperate attempt for attention. And for me, comedically, that felt like a big enough engine that I'm like, because I can personally see it from both sides. It was very easy for me to talk to the actors and the family. And when like Mary Holland or Emily Hampshire, both like these killers would go like, what is the tone of this? I would go, the tone is, is your brother's full of shit. Your brother has always made this stuff up. He's a liar. He wants attention. He's lonely. It's all about him. And you're tired of it. He called a family meeting on a Saturday because he's bored and lonely and he wants you guys to have sleepover parties with him, but he doesn't do the same for you. And so then my tone coming in before we started the scene was, I'm in the most intense drama and I'm going to get killed. And I know they're going to believe me because I'm right. And so I thought like, oh, if every scene had that, if both sides thought they were yeah. right, and if I directed it like both sides were right, I was like, well, that feels fun to me. So you can watch the movie like he's an idiot and it's all in his head, or you could watch it like he's totally right. What in the actual is going on with there you. was a cowboy who had a Cow rifle on me last night and he was going to shoot me and kill me i cannot be alone you guys i thought you were going to be more supportive or i never would have signed up for this game or it's not fair i support this so yes i hired a person without a home to shadow me why because you're a weirdo because i don't want to die you this cannot have this person sleeping in mom's house we don't know him it's not safe and how about this are you going to shadow me? No. Are you going to shadow me? No. <laughs> Are you going to shadow me? I don't want to take away James's job. So what choice do I have here? I love this. I, I love this so much. Let me just reintroduce you here for people who are just joining us. Uh, my, my guest is, is Jake Johnson. His brand new film, Self-Reliance, is out on Paramount Plus now. I've never seen anything like this before. It's really funny. It's really weird. And it's also <laughs> the last, I can't remember the last movie I saw where I legitimately couldn't predict the endings. I think we're so used to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah. so used to knowing, we're so savvy now that I, I couldn't predict it at all. Um, you were talking to me about like, oh, you know, this is the thing that I wanted to get into when I was a kid. You know, it's the death of entertainment. You know, I, I always wanted to make films. I always wanted to be part of this thing. But I know you as an actor. When, yeah. when did the, like, did, um, when did you want to act? Did you always want to act? So when I was a little kid, I grew up outside of Chicago and uh, the second city. Skokie? Uh, Evanston. Oh, I know. I only know about Skokie. I have a friend of mine from Skokie. My mother, uh, where she lives now, borders the great Skokie. Oh, wow. Um, so you're close. Um, but Chicago, the second city is king in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and the second city, you know, obviously it's big in Toronto too and in Detroit, but it's, it breeds a certain type of actor. And that is a comedic actor, a character actor, somebody who plays it very real, someone whose tone is very grounded, but somebody who can generate a lot of laughs. And when I was growing up, uh, uh, when I was born, uh, Belushi was still alive and he was a big part of my family. Like it was like Belushi was king and then Bill Murray and Bill Murray grew up in a town 10 minutes from when I, where I grew up. 
and the Murray family and the Murray brothers were legendary when I grew up. And so this idea of that type of character actor was the goal. And so then my pursuit of how to get there was to write my write parts for myself so that I could be that kind of actor. And so it was always one in the same thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does, but can you re- re- reiterate the I've never heard anyone put it like that. Like reiterate to me again that that type of second city comedian, the type of Bill Murray, kind of every every Manny. Yeah, so it it's some actors moved to Los Angeles like a Brad Pitt mm-hmm. because they are so good looking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. everywhere they go from the time they were 9 People go like, that is the best looking person I've ever had. Margot Robbie probably had it. Yeah, Ryan Gosling has it. I had a really famous- They're, they're otherworldly. I had a really famous actor in here one, one time, and I, and I said about them afterwards, I'm not going to say who it was, but I, afterwards I said to, to someone, if that guy had been a plow driver- he would have been on the cover of Plow Drivers exactly Monthly right. and would have got and yeah, would have yeah, got yeah. an agent, you know, UTA. A hundred percent right. Yeah. Well, there's stories about like Ashton Kutcher yeah. was like in a mall. Yeah. And someone's like, <laughs> Will you please take this money? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because whatever that thing, and I've worked with them where you're around certain people and you just go male and female. Mm-hmm. You are a greater physical species, like specimen, <laughs> yeah. than the majority of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's like the talent, and the talent is like your John Malkoviches, right? That like they're just like actors. Yeah, Daniel Day Lewis and Daniel Day Lewis. And what we love about them as cultures is like they are after some deeper truth. And you don't want to think of them as like scrolling through Instagram because they live in like a little hut. And they go so deep into character. Mm-hmm. And when they present, they are a mirror to society. Mm-hmm. And they drip with talent. Mm-hmm. And they could go from Hamlet in the Park to SNL that evening. Mm-hmm. And we cheer for them, right? Yeah. And so they're great too. But I knew at a very young age, I'm very dyslexic. Yeah. And so I kind of knew from a young age, with my face, I'm not the first type. And with my brain, I'm not the second type. But I can make everybody in the classroom laugh and I get great joy from that. And so in terms of where I'm going to live, when I started seeing stand-ups, I never thought that's me. I don't want to be on a microphone in front of a stage alone. But then when you see a certain type and that is, he looks like your uncle or your aunt or like, you know, like Joan Cusack is a perfect Chicago actress. Yeah. Where you're like, she's just so funny and good. Catherine O'Hara is a perfect second second city actor. Yeah. Where you're like, I could see you in my family. Yeah. And I would like you in my family. And it doesn't feel odd to see you in screen because I know you. Yeah. You are part of me. Yeah. But the way you're riffing with John Candy, the two of you guys together is bringing such joy. But you guys are kind of me. And then Brad Pitt walks by and you go, that's not me, yeah. but I like it. Yeah. And then an act, Sir Ben Kingsley comes in and you go like. <laughs> well done. Well done. Throw the roses at him. Yeah. Stare at the beauty. Uh-huh. And then the character actor is kind of the, you know, the bread. Just like you keep it going. I had never heard anyone talk about actors that way before. But really, through talking about actors, wasn't he just talking about, like, knowing who you are and embracing 
who you really are and not wanting to be something that you're not. And like, I mean, it reminds me of this thing Gary Shandling, the comedian Gary Shandling used to write down on a piece of paper every time he went on stage. He wrote, he used to write down, um, don't be funny, just be you. That's great, man. That's the first part of my conversation with the actor and director Jake Johnson. He's got a new movie out called Self-Reliance on Paramount Plus in Canada and Hulu in the U.S. You might know Jake from his uh, role in the beloved TV series New Girl. And for New Girl fans, we talk about New Girl after this. Plus, uh, Lou Calla, who for a Canadian artist has had about as big a year as he possibly can, is here to reflect and talk about changing lanes just when things get big. More cute after this. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Hey, Tom here. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, Q with Tom Power, uh, please do uh, subscribe or follow depending on the platform that you use. I think on Spotify, it's follow and on Apple, it's subscribe. I don't know. But anyway, follow the show. And if you want to get in touch with us, Q at CBC.ca is the best way to do that. All right, back to the show. So when you got New Girl, so for people who don't yeah. know, you were on that show, um, New Girl, which I love, by the way. I love that show. And it's, because it's a real, really real comfort watch for me and a, yes. and a good big pandemic watch for me. And I, I, have, I have a great time. <laughs> it was very, you know, it did the thing it needed to do yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, which was, you know, during the dark months, you know, really made me laugh a lot. But that must have been a great role for you because that's that was kind of your role on that. You were kind of just yeah. a, a bit of a uh, – I've heard people describe it as like um, – you kind of stand in for the audience a little bit, and you can and you can make people laugh. That's interesting. So when that so that that's a perfect example of what I love about TV. When I booked that job, yeah, my role was as a guy who just quit law school, and Liz Merriweather wrote it as the smartest guy in the room, but too insecure to say it. And when I got the job, I've never been described as those two things. <laughs> So a lot of my role in the first few episodes, I used to say like every one of my sentences, my lines ends in a question mark because it would be like, Schmidt has a monologue. And I would go, is that really how you feel? Then he would have a punchline. Then Jess would enter Zoe's character and she would have a chunk like, here's what happened at school today. And I would go, and then what'd you do? And then she would have an answer. And then the other, and I was like, all I'm doing is feeding, but I'm not giving anything. You're an exposition machine. I'm a setup exposition machine. Right. They even did the exposition. <laughs> and then I just started making facial expressions to react. And then slowly, Liz and the writers started writing for me, and they thought, Jake isn't a quiet lawyer who's really insecure and smart. He's a different thing. He's weird. So they started writing the weird, and then by... Season two or later in season one, we started finding the character. And that you do not get in a movie. That's the gift of TV. And then once we found it, 
we had 120 episodes to play with it. Oh, what a gift that must have been for you that they didn't uh, that they didn't say to you, oh, can you can you just be that guy we wanted you to no, be? I so that is, and I didn't know it then, but I've known it now. It's what I love about Liz Merriweather and what I love about acting or certain type of acting. And now I know before I take the meetings, I go in and I'll say, like, if you have a vision in your head, I don't think an actor's job is just to satisfy that vision. Some actors do. I think the the job of an actor is to partner with you and turn this thing into something really special together. And I didn't realize how great Liz was at that. I just thought that's what it was. Because all of a sudden you would experiment and she would give you something new. And if it worked, that would be the direction you went in. But that job was so much improv, so much together that we really built the show kind of on the fly. I talked to Emily Hampshire uh, after Schitt's Creek ended. And yeah. she talked to me, and I've had this conversation with a few people, but Emily talked to me a lot. Emily Hampshire, who, who I should say is part of uh, Jake's show, uh, Jake's so good at m- movie self-reliance, incredible Canadian actor. She uh, she told me, she was like, after shit's, shit's ended, she was like, I wasn't sure what my, you know, I thought she said, I thought that might've been, I thought that might've been it for me. Did you get, did you get any of that after New Girl? Um, I, you know, I actually didn't. I thought, um, I didn't start working until very late in my career. Yeah, I was 28 years old before I got like a commercial, and New Girl happened. I think I was 31 years old. Did you have like day jobs before then? Always. I mean, I've had every single day job you could imagine. I was bad at it. Right. Um, <laughs> truly. And you know, some actors say that where they're like, you know, I didn't have a plan B, and then you talk to them, and you're like, you had a plan B. <laughs> you had a lot of plan Bs. Yeah. Like I've talked to you. You have like, a bachelor's you, of chemistry. You have a yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I know, but I didn't love it. It's like <laughs> love is different. <laughs> but that's a plan B. Like that is a real plan B. Yeah, right. I was very bad at every day job. I've been, you know, people are like, I've never been fired once. I've been fired so many times I can't count. I've been fired so many times that I don't. I wouldn't get offended when they were fired. I would understand. Fired, fired. The countless times I've had, I've had once I was catering. In the middle of a bar mitzvah, the guy said, give me your bow tie. And no. I said like, yes. And he I go was, like, let me He was willing to be short staffed on a job. He was short staffed. Rather than because he was Because, Tom, he was shorter staffed with me. <laughs> <laughs> I was minus three workers. <laughs> he goes, this is a true story, but I was at a bar mitzvah. You know, I had two in a day and I thought like, great, this will cover me for rent wise. I'm kind of fine. And there were these two DJs. And the DJs were just a really funny combo, you know, like they had their whole shtick and it was kind of hip hop, but also like really being respectful to like the little bar mitzvah girl's family. So it'd be a lot of like, yo, Nana, get up on that floor, girl. Right. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Like an 80 year old woman would dance, but they were keeping the tone of like, this is a little bit hip hoppy. And it was just perfect. They were so good at it. The kids were so funny. The little 13-year-olds with braces were like perfectly like, you know, street bebopping. Yeah. And a lot of the parents were laughing and having fun. And I started laughing and having fun. And I would be talking to some like random uncle and we would be like dying laughing. (laughs) And my boss came up to me and said like, stop laughing with the guests <laughs> and start serving and i would go i hear you and then at one point he saw me buckled over bending over laughing and he walked up to me and literally said give me your bow tie right now and i said i'm not going to do that i'm going to finish he said i'm not asking and i took off the bow tie and i walked out and i had to call my girlfriend now wife and went like 
Happened again, honey. I'm out of work. <laughs> <laughs> this one didn't work out, dear, but we got a good one cooking. We got a good one cooking. <laughs> the next one's right around the horizon. <laughs> so you get so so. Does that lead you to the when New Girl ends? You're like, all right, well, I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah. So when New Girl and so I'd always I believe in hard work. So I believe in the grind, and I don't. I believe in you've got to outwork everybody. So if you don't care about what you're doing, so I don't care about catering. I never cared, but I always was going home and writing. I was always on stages. I was always working on the thing. So when New Girl started, uh, the first thing I did was sell a TV show as a writer to 20th because I'm like, now I know these people. So now the executives kind of have to buy it from me. So I was like, so then I did that for two years and then I started a company at 20th Century so I could sit on the same side of the table as them when writers came in so I could kind of study them a little bit. In the summers in between that show, I did a few indies. One was Drinking Buddies. One was pretty, uh, The Pretty One. I did Safety Not Guaranteed. And then I started doing some studio ones like 21 Jump Street. I did Jurassic World and uh, Let's Be Cops. So I was filling the summer up with acting jobs. August till April, I was on New Girl. And during the August until April, I was constantly writing, making self-financed indies when another one didn't come my way and creating the production company. So my thought was when it goes away, I might never be at the level I am now, but you've let me into the castle. It's going to be hard to get me out. I've always viewed it like if they let you in, you got to be a rat and sneak around and don't let them kick you out. So, so what's going on, man? Like I'm, what's going on with, um, like, I just don't, I don't talk to many actors who, I hope you can take this in the way I mean it. I don't talk to many actors who have such a, such a sense of like the business the reality of the of the business. I'm not saying that. Like, let's or I talk to actors who only have a sense of that. Like they yes. they're really they're they're yes, well, I call they're them good at they're it. savvy. They're like yes. I had an actor That's a little right. while ago talk to me about like it's being an actor these days is more like being a being a, the head of a tech company. Man, you're just trying Amazing. to establish. And, and I'm just like <laughs> sure, you know. And I'm nodding along, going, yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> I haven't met I haven't met many people before like you who make art that they want to make that feels yeah. authentic to them and weird and great and also seems to have a real sense of the realities of the business that you're in. Well, thanks. So I was raised by a single mother uh, and my mother was a stained glass artist and opened junk shops and does beautiful work, like spectacular stuff, but she's moody. And so <laughs> there would be like months where she wouldn't want to go into the shop. And I would go like, hey, Ma, are we going to go into the shop today? And she'd go, no. And I'd go, it's going to make it really hard for people to buy stuff <laughs> if the door's locked. Yeah, right. <laughs> but for her, the process is really all that matters. And if she made a window that was beautiful, or if we found an old dresser and we stripped it, restained it, put handles, and it was great, I would be like, we did it. She would go, we're not selling this one. And I'm like, well, the whole idea is to sell it, not <laughs> yeah, just right, like right. have another dresser. Yeah, right, right. In her shop, she used to get really mad at me if I negotiated. So like, let's say she had like something that was worth 80 bucks and then like junk, like an old cat. You know, she bought like trinkets. Cats were worth two bucks a pop. She wanted 15. So if somebody goes, I'll give you 80 for the dresser, but throw in one of those cats. Well, we got 80 from a dresser we found in an alley. So the only thing we put into it was our time. This is a good deal. My mom would get furious at me because the cat was worth 15 bucks. 
Now, mix that with my dad when I got to know him, which was as an adult, uh, was a born salesman and owned a car dealership on the south side of Chicago and turned a little Chevy dealership into a really nice business, but knows nothing of cars. Refers to cars as units. Real business. He's not a car guy. Ruthless business, dude. Yeah, well, it's not even ruthless. It's just an understanding of sales and the beauty of sales. And a good sell does not mean you rip them off. It means you get rid of something at a price and they're happy to. Okay. And so if you could sell units, who cares what the unit is? But the art is the sale. It's not the product. And when he and I got close, I was my mother's son. And that's why I didn't start working until my late 20s. He was the one I lived with him at 26 when my career had bottomed out. And we would start having business talks. And he's like, you're waiting for for some agent or manager to find you and run your business so that you could just go act, do a monologue, and somebody will give you gold. He's like, I promise you, if you do that, they're going to rob you of all that gold. And he's like, you're the business. And so it was the mixing of those two, which was kind of the beginning of my my Hollywood kind of game. I mean, that's what a great story. What a great story. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's the idea, man. We're telling these stories. <laughs> We're goddamn storytellers by a fire. <laughs> uh, I loved. I loved this. Uh, I loved this movie. I really want everyone to watch it. I want everyone to watch it so that you can make more of them. Uh, not even more. Not even more of the the story, uh, but just more of them. Uh, thanks so much yeah. for making the time. Yeah, what a pleasure, man. I appreciate you. My conversation. What a joy. I mean, that's with Jake Johnson. So I'm I'm in a studio in in Toronto right now, and like right in front of me, there's a big like soundproof glass in front of me, right? And there's a control room. And right now, Matt and Salm are sitting in there there right now because we're taping the show. Uh, but during that interview, I think there were like two or three people in there uh, watching the interview happen. And I could hear them laughing through the soundproof glass. Never happened before. Uh, what a joy. Jake Johnson's latest feature, Self-Reliance, is out now on Hulu in the U.S. and Paramount Plus in Canada. Tom Power, you're listening to Q. Take a listen to this. Song. Hey, that is Lou Calla and Lottery, a song that was kind of hard to avoid in 2023. Last year was a really big year for Lou Calla, Canadian songwriter, producer, and singer. That song came out. It got her first entry on the Billboard Hot 100. She started playing bigger stages than ever before, gets millions of streams, landed on just about every artist to watch list. And she gets uh, a lot of that attention and a lot of that fame for these big, dancey, disco pop songs, which are largely about, like, knowing who you are. Knowing your self-worth, loving yourself. Now Luke Calla is kicking off the new year and, and taking all that fame and kind of taking a different road with her music. 
showing a, a more vulnerable side of herself. She has a new song uh, called Nothing But Love. We asked if Lou Calla would come on the show and talk a little bit about it and maybe introduce the song to you. And we were happy she said yes. Here's our conversation. Big 2023, hey? It was definitely a good year. It was a good year for me. How are you feeling about it? Honestly, I feel like I accomplished a lot of things that, you know, growing up I've always wanted to do. So I'm definitely excited for where 2024 takes me because I feel like it'll be even bigger. Did you have a little list? Like when you were like, so you were you were coming up and you knew, hey, I wanted to be a musician and there were certain things you wanted to do? Yeah, of course. I definitely make little vision boards and <laughs> make like notes of like, you know, this year I want a billboard. I want this and that. So um, it's cool seeing the things that I've manifested come true. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to stay on that just for, for a second here. You were like, give me an example of something that was on one of these vision boards that made that, that happened. I remember like I had written that I just wanted to be like on a billboard for um, the first time. And that year, I think I had like three billboards like around like the world. Like that was like really cool. But every year there's a new list and there's more that pops up on it. So I'm still waiting for that. I'm still waiting for that Rihanna to pop up, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's is that on the vision board to do a song with Rihanna? That's like number one. Like, yeah. I, uh, I'm not a, I, I'm not a big manifesty person or a big, you know, that's not the world I live in, but I, I'm, I'm getting something from it. Do you think there's something to it? Do you think there's something to it in the way this, that this I, thing worked out? I think so. Cause I'm not a big like astrology person, yeah, but neither. I think that when you write something down and you just see it visually. So if you make yourself like a vision board and you see it every day, I feel like it's, you're kind of like attracting it more. Because you're reminding yourself of it every day, whereas a lot of times there's things we want, but we never really think about them. And then we don't actually make it happen. So I don't know. It helped me to wake up and see like, all right, this is the goals that I want to make happen. And every day and every day I'm like think, working towards making it happen. Well, it's 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 amazing to see. And I'm happy we're going to talk a little bit about your, your new song in a second. But first, can I just tell you, and I don't even have a question associated with this. Um I think Hotter Now is the best pop song of 2023. I absolutely I, loved it. How sweet. Um, and when I got my Spotify top songs, you know, my you know, what do they call that thing? Like the Spotify wrapped. Spotify wrapped. Spotify wrapped. It was like, and I listen. Look, look at this beard. Like I listen to a lot of like banjo music from the Depression, and it was like banjo song, banjo song, sad songwriter song, hotter now by Lou Calla. Like I think it's just the yeah. greatest. I love that song. That makes me so happy. Like I don't know. I feel like hotter now is just so uplifting, and like it just makes you dance even when you don't want to dance. Yeah. Um, I remember writing that song and then coming back home. Um, from LA and being like in Toronto back then and I was dancing around in my living room like over and over and I'm like no I don't care I have to drop this all in this is a song really happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted about it. So th- 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 what we're going to talk about today, this new song, Nothing But Love, we've been talking about Hotter Now and Lottery, upbeat, dancey, own it kind of songs. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this song. 
So this song is very different than those songs. And I feel like if you're someone who only knows me through the era of like Pretty Girl Air Lottery Hotter now, uh, then this song might throw you off a little bit because you're not used to me being a little bit sad and being like about my emotions. Um, So I still think this song is as powerful as those other songs, but I'm just extremely vulnerable and I actually started writing the song two years ago. Um, and I never knew that, like, writing a song that was this, like, heart-shattering, would it would take this long to finish. Vulnerable and heart-shattering, if you don't mind me asking so. Uh, about, about what? Uh, oh, <laughs> about heartbreak? Yeah. About a breakup, about moving on. Um, and, you know, usually, usually when you break up with someone, if you, like, are able to, if you hate them, it's kind of easier to move on from the situation. But the hard part about this song for me was I didn't hate the person post-breakup. You know, I still had nothing but love for them. And that makes it like a million times harder to break up when you still see this person as like a good person. Um, It makes it tough to move on. And that's what the song's about. It would be easier for you to write a song too that's kind of like, well, screw you, you know, I don't deserve you. Or sorry, you don't deserve me, you know, go to hell. Exactly. Go to hell, that kind of, Dave. That, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and in your case, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in, in your case, you have to write a song where you have to put your feelings on the line a little bit. Yeah, I think that was, uh, that was definitely the harder part because – to commit to like a song about like you're nothing and I'm not messing with you anymore. Like that is the easier emotion that everyone can deal with, but to actually have to sit down and like really relive all those moments and wrap it up in a bow being like, you know what? Like at the end, like you're not a bad person. This didn't work out for us. Like, I think that's like the maturing part. Yeah. Um, It's it's more complicated and it's a little more mature. And I think that's why it took me two years to finish writing it because I I had to like think about I'm going to have to sing this song over and over and over for the rest of my life. And I don't know if I want to put something so vulnerable out there. Has the person you wrote it about heard it? Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, you want the tea? No, no. Listen, it's none of my business. None of my business. It, 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 but Possibly. I was... It had a viral. It had a couple of viral moments. It did. And. That's what was tough about it because I didn't really tease it with the intention of like, oh, I'm putting this out next. I just was, I wrote it in during the pandemic and we're all closed in. So we're living through our feelings times a thousand, a million really. And I just felt so connected to it. So I posted like a bit of the chorus, um, not knowing that people would react. And then they started ganging up on me because they're like, how dare you post this and like not give us the actual song. So I had to be like, oh, my gosh, I actually have to finish this song. And it's just it's a lot. The human in me, like it took a while for me to get to the point where I could finish writing the song. Well, as you mentioned, uh, almost five million views on TikTok and Instagram. I mean, just a snippet of your songs now are, are, are having the kind of virality that most people would love to have for their full pieces of music. Um, I think you're so great. I think you're such a great songwriter, such a great um, performer, and I'm, I'm such a big fan of your Thank music. You. And I'm so glad, so glad we had an opportunity. I can't wait to talk uh, to you more in the future. Would you mind doing me a favor? We're going to play the song right now. Tell the people listening in Canada who you are and introduce the song. Hi, I'm Lucala, and this is my new single, Nothing But Love. I've been holding on 
listening to the radio the other day and you know you, you you're you're of a certain vintage you were used to hearing like sweet child of mine and then november rain like you know there were like artists with big rock songs and then ballads where, where, where are the ballads these days nice to hear that from lou calla that's a song called nothing but love it is out now all right that is it for the show today tomorrow on the show the canadian playwright david yee was awarded the seminovich prize canada's most valuable theater award for his groundbreaking work transforming Canada's theatre scene. David will be here to tell you how his whole theatre career was born out of necessity for himself. We'll see you tomorrow. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.